have ever said, I feel like Peter. Um, I feel like he's the one disciple that, uh, that so many people relate to. And it's not that we don't, you know, like John the Beloved, right? Uh, he's, he, was, he always had Jesus' heart. He was the one resting on Jesus' chest at the, uh, at the uh, Last Supper, and he was kind of like BFFs with, with, uh, with Jesus. And, and, and if you, first of all, for some of you that may go, well, Jesus treated all the disciples the same. That's a lie. Such a lie. Like, he had three best friends. Like, it was Jesus, and then, like, you know for a fact, Peter and John, right? Um, and, and, you know, John was the guy that always, like, had uh, Jesus' back, and Peter's the best friend that always got you in trouble, okay? Um, that was, that was, but, but Peter was also the one that would be the one that, that's willing to do the thing that nobody else is willing to like. Like John was kind of like a yes man. Like, yeah, Jesus, that's so good. Peter's like, word, let's, let's cut his ear off. Like, whoa, pump the brakes, Peter. You know, because think about it. It didn't say that John walked on water. It said that Peter did. Peter was that friend that was like, yeah, I bet you we could jump that with the bicycle. And, and y'all know like, okay, maybe the, this, this, uh, group of, uh, uh, Kids don't know anything about that, but uh, I remember, you know, you'd make that sketchy ramp out of, like, plywood and bricks, and, uh, and, and you go, I could jump it. I could clear it. Um, and Peter was that guy. Like, Peter was the guy. John was like, I don't know. We need to put pads on our knees and helmets, and Peter's like, shoot, give me the rusty nail. We'll just, you know, make some more. It, it, like, that was Peter. And so I believe that's why we, we, we recognize so much of Peter in a lot of us is because there's this idea that Peter was the, probably one of the rougher disciples. He was a fisherman, and I've told you about uh, fishermen back in that day. Fishermen were not, you know, they, it wasn't a job that everybody was going after. It wasn't a job for the faint of heart. They were rough, rough guys. They they were vulgar, and they were fighters, and they were all these things. This was kind of the idea of what a fisherman was. It was a rough job, and this is where Peter came out of. He, him and his, his father owned a, a whole vessel of ships, and he walks away from that to follow Jesus, but he had to learn how to grow out of that characteristic and yet still use the personality that Jesus gave him. Because, see, Jesus, when he calls us, he doesn't call us and change our personality, but he changes the character within the personality. So it's not that when we come to Jesus, it's all cookie cutter and we're all the same. It's the fact that he wants to use the personality that he gave you and he wants to shape the character within you. And those are two different things. Your personality is who you are. Your character is what is what is valued amongst. It's what people know you as. You may be loud and, 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 and boisterous. That's your personality. You may be quiet and reserved. That's your personality. But your character, our character is the same. It's what we long for. It's to, to live after the life of Jesus. See, I think we see ourselves wrapped up so much in Peter because we look at his faults and his story and we see what God did in his life. And we recognize those times where he made mistakes and we go, yeah, I'm kind of like Peter. I make mistakes. I open my mouth when I shouldn't. I say things that I shouldn't. I do things that I shouldn't. And, 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 and we see ourselves in Peter. Could you imagine if he was defined by his worst day? Could you imagine if Peter was defined by his worst day? He would be labeled a failure. He would. 
Now, I thank God that it's not how God sees him, and it's not how God sees us. And, and, and maybe you need to hear this again for the thousandth time in your life, but you are not defined by your worst moment. You are not defined by your worst mistake. You are not defined by what everybody else says about your worst flaws, because God does not define you that way. A big amen. Could you, listen, could you imagine if, if we read the headlines the way the enemy tries to make our headlines for our life read? Peter can't walk on water. That would be the headline. <laughs> could you, could you imagine? Wait, but wait a minute. What man can walk on water? How, how is that? How is that a bad? It, it doesn't read Peter walked on water for a moment. It says Peter failed while walking on water. He was the only one that was willing to get out of the boat. He was the only one that, that can say other than Jesus himself that he walked on water. It was when he took his eyes off of Jesus that he fell and he sunk down into the water and, and the enemy will remind him of that. Ah, yeah, but you failed. You failed. The enemy is going to remind us of our failures and, and God is there to remind you, you may have fallen down while trying to be who he has wants you to be, but you're going to get back up just like Peter. Don't allow the enemy to create false headlines of your worst moments. I looked up the list of Peter's failures. Here's a, 12 things that Peter did that he failed at in three years, y'all. Three years, these are 12 things that Peter did with Jesus that he failed at. Peter doesn't understand the parables of the four uh, soils, but is, is confused. You know, in Matthew, when, when Jesus is talking about the four different types of soils, and, and, and Peter's confused about it. What does Jesus do? He instructs him with the meaning. Peter and the other disciples misinterpret Jesus' words about yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 16, 1, and think that Jesus is talking about bread, and so he has to, Jesus has to repeat himself because they are misunderstanding his, his message. How many times have we heard a message and we go, I really, I don't understand, or read a scripture and you're like, I don't understand why that's even in the Bible. Y'all, listen, I'm with you. There are some scriptures I read, and I'm like, Jesus, you could have gone without that scripture. That's just weird, right? Peter and the other disciples try to keep the children and babies away from Jesus. He was the bodyguard for the nursery. You can't come to big church. What does Jesus do? He talks to them. He's upset with them. He's upset with the disciples, but he teaches and he instructs them about what it means to be a little child in the faith. Peter fails to continue to walk on water. We talked about that one, but Jesus catches him and he instructs him. And this is the thing that I love about that story is that the one that we don't really think about all that often is that he walk, Peter walks back with Jesus. So Jesus picks him up out of the water and he walks back into the boat with him. Peter, filled with selfish ambition, argues with other disciples about which one is greatest. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, God? <laughs> it's got to be me. Right? What does Jesus do? He, Jesus instructs them. Jesus doesn't have a meltdown, get frustrated with them. Oh, you idiots, I've been with you for three years and we're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest. 
start over. Give me three more years, God. I'm going to go find new people. No, he instructs them. He doesn't reject Peter, but he instructs him. Peter speaks out in a holy moment on the mountain of transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appear to talk to Jesus about his departure. No one is talking to Peter. But he suggests in that moment that him, James, and John, the three amigos to Jesus, should build three shelters and dirt huts to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Could you imagine? Jesus shows up. He's walking with you. He's there. All of a sudden, like these amazing prophets of old uh, Elijah show up. I'm just going to let you know, at that point, you best just, just sit back and enjoy the ride. Peter's like, oh, it's my time to talk. No, dummy, be quiet. And he said, hey, we should build worship huts to them. Jesus is like, shut up. Stop talking. God the Father gets involved with this one. What does he say? He doesn't, he doesn't reject Peter. He just says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter speaks for Jesus without consulting him. I'm going to say that's a big no-no. I mean, I feel like, you know, and that's why we recognize ourselves. Like, Peter's like, oh, I got this one, Jesus. Like, he's all like, shut up. Get behind. Let's go. Come here. Stop doing this. He speaks for Jesus without consulting him and commits Jesus to pay a tax. That we definitely don't like Peter now. He made Jesus pay taxes. When Jesus finds out he doesn't reject him or even correct Peter, he just tells him what to do. He says, go down, grab that fish. There's going to be two coins in there. Pay the tax. The eighth thing that he did was Peter resists the single greatest reason Jesus became a human, to atone for the sins of the human race. Jesus uh, severely rebukes Peter. This is the one time where, where you would say he almost rejects him, but it's not a rejection. It's a rebuke, and there's a big difference. Where he, where he, tells, he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. He recognized the pride and the sinfulness in Peter, and he talked to the sin, not the person, and said, get behind me. He didn't reject him. He didn't say, Peter, you're a loser and a failure, and I'll never be able to use you. But he told the sin in Peter to get behind him. However, Jesus does not reject him. He, he, he continues to to correct and instruct him. The ninth thing that Peter does is he resists Jesus when he says that he's going to wash Peter's feet, right? At the, at the Lord's Supper, he says, he says uh, I, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, you're not. And he says, but if I, don't, if I don't do this, you know, all the rest of you is clean, but if I don't wash your feet, then it's, it's symbolism to being clean in the kingdom. And he says, well, then wash all of me. No, Peter, I'm not trying to give you a bath. Just want to wash your feet. He corrects him and he instructs him again. The tenth thing is Peter fails to stand by Jesus' side and falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane with all the other disciples. You know, he keeps going back to the disciples and saying, can you not pray for just a little bit longer? He keeps going back and correcting them. The eleventh thing that Peter does is he denies Jesus with an oath and curses. This is probably the one that is the biggest that we recognize, that, that he denies Jesus three times as he is going through his worst day. As Jesus is going through the, the pain and the hurt and the shame of being beaten for our sins and hung on a cross for our sins, Peter is there denying him. And the last thing that we see that Peter does all before, the, all before Jesus is 
gone after resurrection, Peter is completely overwhelmed by his sin, self-discovery of his own weakness, and quits the apostolic team. He says, I'm done with this. He goes back to the only work he feels he can do, which is fishing. And we know this because in John 21, Jesus restores him. He finds him on the beach with the other disciples, and he calls them in, and he cooks them breakfast. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't say, oh, my gosh, you guys are all idiots. I spent three years with you day in and day out. You haven't got a clue. Nope. He calls them in. He cooks them breakfast, and he speaks to them. So you, so you see this laundry list of things that Peter, like Peter is, by our standards, a mess up. We wouldn't give Peter a microphone in church. We wouldn't know what he would have to say. We wouldn't let Peter run a, a ministry in church. And this is kind of what's wrong with American church, or, or, or I, I'll say not American church, Western culture church, because it happens in any place where there's first world, is that we start to put regulations on what it looks like to be leaders, and we tell people, you're not good enough to do ministry. Peter, by all definition, would have never been hired at any church, ever. Like, Peter, you can greet people at the door, maybe. You might even screw that up. You may see somebody you don't like walking into church and be like, what are you doing here? You don't deserve Jesus. Like, like that's, you know, I just, Peter would make a mistake. And pastor would be grabbing him by the neck. How about you just go sit down? See, and yet, here's the crazy part, is that Peter is so instrumental in the church starting. I want you to, I want us to look, and this is going to be the core of my message this morning. This scripture out of Luke 22, 31 and 32. I, we needed to go, be, we needed to see who Jesus was so that we can see, or Peter was, so that we can understand what God did with him. So Luke 22, 31 through 32, I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. It says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you all like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. So Jesus speaks this to him before he goes to the cross. He speaks this to him before Peter denies him. He, he, is, he is telling Peter, you don't even know, but you're about to go through some really rough time because you're about to make some really big mistakes. I'm letting you know that Satan's coming after you. And I'm praying that you're not going to do what I think you're going to do. It's probably going to. After you've been restored, here's what I want you to do. Can I tell you that, that God's heart is not to create in us a goal of perfection. The Bible says we're to strive for perfection. Right, it, it, So I don't want us to get lax in the fact that like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a mess up. It's okay. Jesus loves me anyways. No. No. Okay, so let's, let's put this theology thought process to rest because P, uh, Paul speaks about it later in, in, in the, uh, the letters to the church. And he says, no, 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 wait a minute. We don't use grace as a coverall to our sins just so that we can go and do whatever we want. Well, I'm just going to go and sin because I know Jesus will forgive me. No, that's not how this works. Paul says that. He addresses that to the church. He says, don't use grace as some Band-Aid, like, like Jesus is some, you know, genie in a bottle that just forgives all of your wrongs. 
If you're using it, you don't really know who Jesus is because Jesus would ca- causes us to change our life, not just to go and do whatever we want and then know that he's going to cover it. That's cheap grace. And, and, and so he, but he's telling Peter, listen, you're going to, the enemy is coming after you. He has actually obtained permission to come after you. And I hope and my prayer is that you're going to stay strong. But listen, it, if you fail, when you get restored, here's what I want you to do. So there's three things that I kind of got out of that message, that scripture. And the first one is this, we will all be tested. I know we're ending on a real, or we're beginning on a very good note right here, right? You know, like, oh, this is so encouraging, Pastor. Oh, I feel so good. The butterflies are stirring in my stomach. It's just, Jesus loves me. You're going to be tested. I think one of the biggest faults of pastors, and I don't want to, uh, I'm not calling any pastors out or anything like that, because we all, every pastor has their own faults, and sometimes we all say stupid stuff, but some people, some pastors teach bad theology. And, and it's just, that's just truth, okay? And if you preach a theology that, that says that when you come to Jesus, all things become better, you're not reading the scriptures right. And they'll use scripture to twist it and make it sound good. You know, uh, you know, all things work for good for those who love him. All things work for good. It doesn't mean that all things are good at first, but when you love God and when you press into him, yes, he could t- turn your worst moments into a very good thing. Peter denied him three times, and yet he was the first one to preach a message. Your worst day can become God's greatest glory, but it doesn't mean that all things are going to be good. It says all things will work for good. We live in a fallen world, if you haven't noticed. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, Sin came and was bestowed upon all of humanity from the moment that we're born. Which means that things like sickness, greed, hatred are all born into this world. And and can I tell you, all of that will be there until Jesus comes back. The Bible says that uh, God says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Which means that, that just because you come to know Jesus and just because you choose to follow him and become a disciple of his, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick or that somebody that you know is go- not going to, to be hurt or die or, or you're not going to wor- walk through hard times or you're not going to get fired from your job or you're not going to have relationship issues. Like these are just common things that happen in the world because we live in the world. Any pastor that says, oh, when you come to know Jesus, if you get sick, then it's sin in your life. That's lie. It's called sickness. We live in a world that has sickness. I've listened to pastors say, if you're sick, you need to pray for healing. And if healing doesn't happen, it's because there's sin in your life. And you know how many people have been turned away from the church because pastors are idiots. And they want to create a theology that doesn't exist so that they can look good. It's no different than what the Jewish people, the Jewish uh, religious leaders did. We, they, they created a version of their religion so that they always look good and everybody else look bad. And can I tell you that we're all tested? Every single last one of us. The enemy has one job to keep people from living out an amazing relationship with Jesus. He does not want you to get to heaven. Newsflash. He does. His number one goal is not to make you join his team. It's just to get you off of Jesus' team. That's it. He does not want to see you living full of purpose, full of hope, full of faith, godly character, and biblical, act, biblically active. He, he's okay with you coming to church. The enemy doesn't care if you come to church. 
He cares if you're actively living out a faith. He cares if your prayers have power. He, he cares if your, your worship changes environments. He cares that when, when, when you're in an environment and there's something not right, that you have the spiritual authority to claim and proclaim Jesus in the middle of it. That's what he cares about. And he wants to keep you from living an amazing relationship with Jesus. If you don't believe me, John 10, 9 through 10 says this. Yes, I am the gate. Not, this is Jesus speaking. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He has this juxtaposition. The enemy wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to get you distracted. He wants to get you busy. He wants you to forget about who Jesus is in your life. He wants you to forget about those times where God showed up. He wants you to question everything and just go about living a good life. He doesn't even need you to be like some methed out crazy person. Go live your life. Get rich. Have fun. Don't know Jesus. See, a lot of times we point to the big sins, right? Oh, they're an alcoholic. Oh, they're a drug addict. Oh, they go around and just do whatever they want. Can I tell you that, that the Bible actually picks more on the, in the New Testament? If you read the list, like it's like gossiper, liar, like things that we deal with every single day. We like to go, oh, but I'm not like so-and-so. <laughs> and God's like, no, 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 no. Listen here, Peter. It's not about the big sins. You may have those in your life, but, but you know what? There's still some things that we need to work on. And the enemy is going to come and test you, and I want you to be strong enough to withstand that. The Bible says that the enemy roams around like a, a, a roaring lion looking for those who can devour. That's in 1 Peter 5, 8. Peter writes that to, in his, says, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So just a side note to another theological and when I, when I use the word theology or theological, I understand it's the study of the Bible and how we explain it, okay? That's all theology means. Um, I thought about doing like something on Facebook or something like uh, Theological Thursday where I take some theological thoughts and just, you know, quick little five-minute break down some things. Because here, here's another thing that you hear in church a lot of times, once saved, always saved. Who's ever heard of that, right? You know, once you come to Jesus, all you got to do is say a prayer and you're good, locked into heaven. I don't find that in the Bible. It sounds good. If I was creating a theology, that's the one I would want. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sign me up for that. I've come to Jesus. Cool. Now I'm going to go back doing my life, and every now and then I'll pop in, and we'll have some good times, and then I'll pop out and do whatever I want, but I know that I've got my spot secured in heaven. How do we know that? Because it says that the enemy can devour you. And he's not writing this to unsaved people. He's not writing this to unchurched people. He's writing this to the church, right? So he says, hey, hey, church people. Why would the enemy care about people that don't know Jesus? They're already living that certain way. He's saying, hey, to you, stay strong. Because the enemy's trying. I'm coming after you. And he was, he's looking to devour you. We also know in Revelations 3, Right? Where, 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 where John is writing the book of Revelation to the church, and he says, I would rather you be hot or cold. He's not talking to the unbeliever here. 
Then we think, we're like, oh, yeah, he's talking to the unbeliever. No, he's talking to the Christian. He's saying, listen, I would rather you be on fire for Jesus or just act like you hate him. Don't try to be in the middle. Don't try to be over here with this crew like, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, what's up? Over here like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want. He says, listen, he says that believer, he would throw up out of his mouth. That's pretty graphic. I don't want to get up to heaven and God throw me up. That's the, I didn't write the Bible. He did, right? That's the, like, this is how much it disgusts God that we have churches that don't actually live biblically active lives and that we just do church and have a great social uh, gathering, but we don't live it out. And Jesus is like, God is like, listen, I would rather throw up the lukewarm, 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 whew, I've been two weeks off. Forgive my, uh, my mishaps. But I would rather throw you up. Like you, lukewarm Christians put a bad taste in God's mouth. That's what it means. I don't write this, people. So if you, got, if you get mad, just uh, email God. I don't know what his email is, though. So if you find it, let me know. But he says tests will come. Why? Because the Bible says that when tests come, it, it, it sharpens us. It refines us. It lets us know who we are knows where we're struggling, knows where we need to get better. Even Peter failed some tests. We know this. But God, amen? Like, if there's the greatest two words of all of our lives, but God. I was going down a bad path, but God. I was in a, I was in a really bad situation, but God. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, but God. And when we trust in God to do what only God can do, God can get, even when we fail tests, God can resurrect our life to a place where he's called us to. So we will all be tested. Just know that. The second thought is this, is that Jesus instructs and corrects, but he doesn't reject. And that should be a big amen. That should be a huge, like, I put it this way. If you'll know the difference, or maybe you don't know. How many have ever been questioned on whether about what's the difference between condemnation and conviction, right? Um, Here's the biggest thing. If you feel bad, but there's no change, like there's there's no guidance to become better, that's condemnation. God doesn't do that. Conviction will tell you where you're at and what it's like. Like if, you know, if I started, um, I don't want to use uh, names. Um, there's a pastor that recently uh, me and Cole were talking about uh, who, who said some things in a podcast that I'm just, I'm floored at, floored at. It's not my job. I don't know him personally, so uh, I hope that God deals with him. But when you use words that are vulgar, especially as a, a leader and a pastor, especially when you have tens of thousands of people that you influence. Conviction would say, hey, that wasn't right. But here's what I want you to, I want you to change, and you may need to apologize. Well, we like the change part. We're okay with the change part. It's the apologizing part that sometimes gets us. I, I, I don't know. He, he may have followed it up, but I don't know. But I, I, would, I would say that to me, he would not be worthy of listening to until he comes out personally and says, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to do better. 
Condemnation just says, you're a horrible person and you can never do anything for God again because you said those words. I mean, you see the difference, right? Condemnation stops us in our tracks and says, you are no longer worthy of being used for God. You might as well just quit. Conviction says, that wasn't right, but let's get on back on track. God gives conviction, he does not condemn. God gives instruction and corrects, but he does not reject. Now, I will put this little caveat, okay? The Bible does say that if we reject him, he will reject us, okay? So I don't want to give you bad theology, but that's over the course of our life. If, we end, if our life ended tomorrow and we lived our life in a way that rejected Jesus, then guess what? In heaven, eternity-wise, he's going to reject us. But until then, he is constantly correcting and guiding and leading us and, and helping us to become who we want. Every time Peter made a mistake, you find Jesus correcting and instructing him. Can I tell you God's heart is to grow you, to show you who you are based off of who he is. When you stop looking at the world for your reflection and see it in God, faith happens. When you stop looking, you okay, brother? Do you, you need some water? Okay, okay. Listen, I just, listen, I don't want you to die right here. I mean, listen, get some water. I, I want you to hear this because here, here's the thing. We come to church a lot of times or, or a, a, a service or a Bible study or whatever, and we, we see what God has called us to. We see who we can be in God. And then the problem is that we go back out and we live our lives and we start looking at the world for our reflection. And it's really hard to hear God's voice and who he is calling us to be when we only give him an hour or two hours out of our week and the world has the rest of it. So they start to tell you what you are or not, what is good and what isn't, what, what, is, what is correct and what is right. And we, we, we start to see our reflection in the world and then we come to church and God goes, that's, that's not who I've created you to be. That's not, this is who I want you to be. And it's so blurry and fuzzy because we've been looking to the world for our reflection and our purpose and our, our, our character and our, we're challenged with the fact that we want to live for God, but we see our life in the reflection of the world. And I'm telling you, just like he told Peter, if your heart is to be restored, Jesus through the Holy Spirit will guide you through your faith life. But you have to be willing. He's not going to force you. He's not going to, he is not going to say, Chris, you're living this life that I can't stand. And he grabs his hands and he just walks him through it and says, you're going to be forced to follow me. No, he says, listen, I'm there for you. I want you to be this person. I've got a Chris version of you that is amazing, but if you don't want it, I'm not going to force it. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He'll wait for you to make the choice. Once you're ready, he will lead you there. And I asked this question to myself as I, was, uh, as I was pinning down my thoughts, is that do we listen to the voice of God? We know the voice of God. Have we allowed the world to, to, to fog up the Holy Spirit in our life? Are we, are we doing the timing that will grow us close to God? In other words, are we giving God the time? And once again, it's not like you have to give him 24 hours like you're a monk, okay? But do we give him time? 
Do we, we, do we daily set apart time for him to pour into us and for us to have relationship with him? Do we ask for his guidance? Do we ask for his wisdom? Do we ask for his understanding? Because these are all things that the Bible says that we should ask for. God, give me understanding for your word. Give me understanding for this situation that I'm in. God, give me guidance to make this the right decision. I don't want to just do it because I feel this way. I want to have faith in the decision that I make. And listen, there's a massive difference between feelings and faith. Sometimes your feelings line up with your faith. Sometimes your feelings are absolutely atrociously against your faith. Just trust your heart. Bull. Bull. I will call bull all day long on that statement. That is one of the worst statements that, that, that the world has ever created. But why? Because where your heart goes, your life will follow. And if the world can get you to follow your heart, it will go wherever you want it to go, not where God wants it to go. The Bible says... Your heart is deceitful. Why? Because when feelings get involved, man, it'll feel good. It'll always feel, oh, man, listen. That new car feels, I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just, listen. Because, because listen, and I say this because some of you have bought in cars in the last uh, year, and I don't want, like, this. listen, I, I love new cars just as much as anybody else, okay? But, but sometimes, and, and, and I've got my own buy a car story, okay? Ask my wife. I've told you guys before, I bought a car without my wife's knowledge. I thought I was great. I came home. I said, look at my new car. She said, you did what? I said, uh, nothing. I said, my car was going to die eventually. I needed a new car. <laughs> she said, you did it without talking to me. I, I literally came home on a Saturday morning with a new car, and she had no clue about it at all. And, uh, yeah, that, that, didn't, that still doesn't go well. We still don't talk about it. It's like Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about that car, okay? Um, and so, but, but that's the thing. Like, it would be, like, my feelings were like, my car looks like junk, and it had scratched and keyed, and there's a big dent from where a teenager decided to sit on my, my, my roof of my car. I needed to get rid of it. The feelings felt like I needed a new car, and I did, but that was beyond the point. I didn't talk with my wife about it. I didn't trust God and listen and have influence the way that it needed to be. Do we listen to the guy? They're not dying, I promise. And if they are, the, y'all can make new ones. Um, <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Take this from my hand. So listen, I'm wrapping this up, I promise. Um, I should after that statement. Um, I'm Peter, okay? Listen. Do we trust him? Do we pray over our feelings? God, is this feeling appropriate? Do we ask God to shut doors and open doors? Because you could have the right thing during the wrong time, and it'd be the wrong thing. Me and my wife tried to play house way too soon, right? 18 years old. We're like, <laughs> her dad wanted nothing to do. And it wasn't that he didn't like me. He liked me, okay? He just wanted nothing to do with her having a boyfriend until she was, you know, 18 and grown, okay? And, uh, and, and when she turned 18, I was still 17, okay? I got a cougar, okay? So it's, um, and uh, I remember her 18th birthday, we went to Santa Cruz, and we would walk behind her her parents, and we would sneak and hold hands. Like, so innocent, right? Like, it's not even, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, is that we were going against the wishes 
And we knew that if we weren't going to, if we weren't willing to be honest, that it wasn't biblical and it wasn't godly. So we knew that although it was innocent, there was no bad things happening. We knew that we weren't being who God had called us to be and being honest with them and being real with them. And so, and this is why it's important when I say that just because it may not be everybody else's sin, it may be yours. We knew that it was wrong. But pastor, you're just being over, da, 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 da. It's, you know, this is why people don't like the church. No, 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 no. It's, if we don't like listening to the voice of God, then that's, that's between you and God. Because we knew that the wishes of her dad were to not do it at this moment. Why? Because her dad had wisdom that we were not ready to go down a road that we eventually went down before we were ready, okay? Now, we didn't, like, you know, have kids out of wedlock or anything like that. I'm not saying anything. But listen, even a little bit over the line when God is telling you to pump the brakes is too far. Are we going to listen to the world? It's okay. It's normal. You got to date, like, a 1,000 people before you know. No, you don't. No, you don't. Now, I'm not saying that dating people is wrong either. What I am saying is this, is that you've got to listen to the voice of God in everything that we're deciding and every decision because that's how the feelings and, and the world will get you to pull away from the instruction and the correction of Jesus. Be still and know that I am God. Seek and you will find me. Humbly seek God as Second Chronicles says. Lastly, the last thing that I see in Peter's story and the whole kind of the whole theme of my message today is called Hope Restored. It's Hope Restored has an active purpose. Most of us would have sat Peter down for a long time. You don't, 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 don't try to be a leader. Don't try to get and speak in front of the church. Don't, you can't use your gift. You're, you're a bad person. You've had far too many mistakes. I love what, what Jesus tells him before he ever even denies Jesus. Jesus tells him, make it your life's mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Because he says, you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna make mistakes, but after you've been restored, this is what I want your heart to be. The hoped restored has a purpose to your life. It's not just to, to, to live life and then, and then go through the motions and go do the, like each and every one of you have a purpose. Each of you have something that God has intentionally designed your life for intentionally called you to be and to do. And it doesn't mean that you have a microphone and you walk around and, and you know, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Like, I'm not asking you to stand up at your work and be like, the Lord saith. Unless Jesus says that, don't do it. Like, don't. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Don't try to force God's will on your life. But you all have something to give. You all have a purpose. To live the character of God out in front of people, you won't have to say much because they'll ask questions. Why do you do this? Why, do you, why don't you say this? Why don't you do that? Why, you know, I, I've noticed you don't get as mad as much anymore, Hannah, with those homeowners that are just crazy. Let me tell you, kickboxing and Jesus help out a lot. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, and listen, that combination actually is really great, by the way. Um, but, but you know what I mean? Because when hope is restored and we're not living our lives based off of feelings and emotions and just doing whatever we want to do, when we, we are attached to a faith-based lifestyle, there is a purpose to the restoration of hope in our life. 
As God restores us, our lives, in our lives, he leads us to action. Our actions don't lead to restoration. Restoration leads to action. And that is the difference between uh, action or, or uh, faith-based salvation in the sense of how we believe that, that Jesus died on a cross and that we choose to follow and we're disciples of him and action-based salvation, which means that I've got to do something enough for God to love me before I can get saved. I don't have to do anything for Jesus to, to, uh, for salvation for Jesus to love me. I act based off of the love I have for him. I act based off of all that God has done for me. And my actions are because there's hope and there's faith in my life. Peter denied him three times, and yet Peter was the one who preached the first New Testament salvation message. And over 5,000 people came to know Jesus that morning. The biggest miss, well, other than Judas. I guess Judas was probably the biggest mistake in the disciple group. Um, The second biggest being Peter, because he always constantly opened his mouth and did things that 12 different mistakes in three years. It wasn't John the Beloved that got to stand up and preach the first message. It wasn't the brother of Jesus, James, that got to stand up and preach the first message. It was Peter who stood up in the middle of uh, Jerusalem and spoke the first message of salvation, and over 5,000 people came to know Jesus that, that day. Your faults only get to define you apart from God. I want you to hear that. Your faults only define you when you are apart from God. We need to find freedom. How do we find freedom? Jesus. Anna, you can come up. But I'm telling you, with God on your side and your faith and hope restored, you are called into a purpose. You are called into action. If you live under the weight of your faults, you're allowing the world and the enemy to define you still. It doesn't mean that you don't know Jesus or love him. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with him. It just means that you have allowed the enemy to have a hold of your life in a way that you haven't been able to let go of shame, of pain, of hurt. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God can do that in an instant. I also believe that God can do it in a process. See, I grew up, when, when I came to know Jesus, I believed that the, the, the teaching that I kind of fell under was this, that, that if you want something, you just have to name it, you just you know, pray it hard enough, and God's going to do it. And I realized as, as I studied God's word and as I, as I sought God that not everything is instant. Some things are a process. Most things are a process. We want instant gratification, so we, 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 are, um, we get hurt when God doesn't do it right away. Can I tell you, just hang on? Maybe it's because you've heard that your whole life with attached to God, that if, you, if God wants to heal you, he'll heal you. Well, yes, he will heal you, but it's not in your timing. Your job is not to define the healing process. Your job is to hang close to the healer. Mm, some of y'all missed that. We want to define the healing. Jesus says, you just got to hang close to the healer. It could, be, it could be just like that if God wants to, his sovereignty. It could also take years. Years. I mean, how?
how many of you are willing to press into Jesus for years to get your healing? He's going to heal you little by little, maybe. Maybe, 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 just maybe you have to get involved with, with, with him in, in, a, in a more intimate way. He's like waiting for you. Hey, I want to, but you're not willing to give it up yet. You're not really willing to go there. For some of you, some of you need to go to counseling before Jesus can get a hold of you. Oh, we, we believe in healing and faith, Pastor. Yeah, okay, great. But you're not able to get there because you don't know the questions to ask or the depth in which to ask. My wife went and did a, a class, a freedom class in California. She goes, I didn't even realize the things that I was still carrying on in my life. That were creating struggles in our marriage. Now, this is like three years ago. This wasn't like years and years ago. Like three years ago. <laughs> if you really want healing, if you really want to be restored and you really want to be used for God, then there are things in our life that we have to be willing to just really lay out bare before God. And it's not easy. And there's no cookie cutter way. For some of you, it's therapy in Jesus. Some of you, it's kickboxing in Jesus. Some of you, it's Jesus in Jesus. For some of you, it's instant. For some of you, it's going to take time. The question is, are you willing to put Jesus first and lay, sit close to the healer and when he tells you to do something, not push away because it's hard. Alive in Christ, your hope is restored. Creates a newness, not a brokenness. I had this, this visual last night as I was thinking about this. <laughs> if I told you that I was going to give you something, you're like, oh, that'd be awesome. I can imagine, uh, John, I'm going to give you a motorcycle. His wife's face just said, we're leaving the church. He was like, amen. But then I show up on Sunday, and I've got this, like, 1972, which sounds cool because old is cool. But it's... <laughs> but the front forks are duct taped. The handlebars are held together by zip ties. Around it is, is like, glued together. But John, it's, it's, he said, I'll try it. <laughs> but, but John, it's, it's, it's new to you. That's how a lot of us feel like our life is with God. Duct taped and zip tied. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that that's how God does our life. It says we have pains and we have past and we have shame and we have all these things that are in our life because we live in humanity, but it never says that that's where we stay. And the enemy has gotten so many people, and I would say people in this room as well, to believe that I can live for Jesus, but I'm always going to hold on to my pain. You will never forget it, but it does not have to be a part of your story. The greatest, I think the greatest aspect of, of, of our past is that that. The Bible says that Jesus and God forget about it. It says it's as far as east is from the west, but it doesn't say that we forget. So the enemy will use that shame and that pain and that remembrance to hold us back from what God, how could God ever love me because? How could I ever speak of God's goodness because of what I've said before, who I am in the past? No, 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 listen to me. It may be what you've done, but it is not who you are. 
When I come to Jesus and I sit at the foot of the healer, he heals me. If I have to walk through the process, if I have to go to therapy, if I have to go find a group like Freedom Group, like Stephanie did with uh, Carrie Garcia, which I think that a lot of people should look into, and I think my wife should probably do something here with her. And it's not just for women. Biggest lie, lie the devil has ever told the guys, you have no emotions. Oh, but we'll get mad real quick. We'll get angry real quick. We'll, we'll get frustrated real quick. But when it comes to tapping into the pain and the past and the hurt, I don't got it. I'm a stone wall. I'm a man. I'm a lie. You want to see God use you? Allow your emotions to, to be free. It doesn't mean you're going to become a bubbling idiot that wants to go see ballet. I think that's what guys are afraid of. If I let my emotions out, then I'm going to become some sissy lala. No. You might just become whole. You might just become healed. You might just become the father and the husband that God has designed you to be. The best friend and, and, and the brother or sister, or not sister, that's a whole different. See, Peter you might become the best brother or uncle or we'll stick with male uh, if you're a guy that you'll ever be. And the enemy says, don't do it. They're just trying to, they're trying to, don't let that California pastor tell you about emotions. He's just turn, trying to turn you all into fruitcakes. Listen, y'all don't understand what I've heard since moving here. Kimber told you two weeks ago that when he first saw me, he didn't like me. It's not that he hated me. He just didn't like me. Eric, he sent his wife and daughter, said, I'm going to the California guy. Fruitcake. Hopefully he didn't use those words. I'm not a fruitcake. But this is what the enemy will get you to believe. Gentlemen, can, can, can I challenge you? I know Mother's Day is next week. We're going to talk to, to you moms next week a little bit. Encourage y'all. And I, I, I want to see a healthy church grow here. And it doesn't come with just females being healthy in Christ. In order, order to do that, gentlemen, we have got to explore every aspect of God that is in us. Like I said, it doesn't mean that you're like, you're not, we're not going to sit around holding hands and crying. Sometimes that happens. I, listen, some of my greatest moments have been at the altar with other guys crying our eyes out because God is a God of emotion. But it doesn't mean you're going to wake up and be like, oh, it's a Saturday. Oh, Jesus is so good. Oh. Like, no, you're still going to be you. Your personality is your personality. But the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So what that means is that the best of God in me and the best of God in John can sharpen each other when we're willing to be real together in Christ. I'll get off my soapbox. I need to finish. It just, it just bothers me, I guess. We say we want all of God, but yet then we, we, we stop him when it starts to get uncomfortable. God doesn't want to give you brokenness with duct tape. He wants to restore, which means to give you a newness. It would be the difference between that busted up 70s motorcycle that I want to give John or rolling in here with a brand new 2023 Harley Davidson Road King. Exactly. Nice. He'd rather want that one, I promise. I want to read one scripture. 
Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter again. Now I say to, the, to you, you are Peter. This is the first time he used the word Peter. That he renames him, right? He was Simon. Now he's Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. See, the bad theology says that Peter had this special power. No, no, no. What he was saying was to the church, I'm giving you the power of the character of me that is in Peter. The boldness of me that is in Peter. The the same character that is in Peter will be in the church. Jesus told Peter, your story will change the world when it is written in his story. The same goes for you. I want to end with these four statements. Go ahead and put them up. This is what I find in where the church is built. This is what I find when, when it comes to how do we do that, Pastor? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we go about living in a faith that where our hope is restored and our hope is lived out and we are, are, are made new? How do we do that? So um, the, you got to tell your story. I don't need you to tell my story. But somebody needs to tell their story. But what, what if they reject me? They will reject you. I worked uh, telecommunications for like six months <laughs> in high school. I was that annoying guy on the other line. Hi, this is Scott Bodenhammer with Protect America. I want to talk to you about your home security system. That was me. Made good money at it, by the way. You know the first thing that they tell you when you get into a job like that? Get used to the word no. Get used to hangups. I still remember going in on a Saturday morning during football season in the South. I was working in Texas. And uh, we were calling all over. So I called this place in Georgia, this house in Georgia, Georgia. Hi, this is Scott Bodenhammer with uh, Protect America. I want to talk to you about your home security. Do you know who is playing right now? No, sir, not a clue. Georgia, Georgia Tech, and you're calling me? You could have not answered, sir. I mean, he like, instead of just, I'd rather you hang up on me. Like, I don't, like, go back to your game. We've got to get used. Like, listen, it's the same thing with your story in Jesus. There's going to be a lot of people that don't want to hear it. Just tell it. And don't tell it in an abrasive, I'm better than you way. Just in ways that are normal. In conversations that are normal. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm going fishing and I'm going to church. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to watch some softball, maybe going to teach some softball. And you know what? I'm going to go to church. Would you like to join me? And it may not be, you know, let me tell you about my life in Jesus or, or sitting down at lunch or, or sitting with a coworker. It's not about getting up and, and preaching a message because your life is the message. Tell your story. Pray your prayers. Stop allowing everybody else to pray your prayers. Pray your prayers. Because guess what? The third thing will happen is when you do those two things, your faith will be built. And then pass it on. Encourage people to walk this life with you. Discipleship is not meant for the pastor and the leaders. It's meant for every single person to say, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Let's get together. Let's have some coffee. Let's talk about life. How's your life? And when they go, it sucks. Ha ha. Are you willing to try something with me? 
I've been, you know, I read a scripture, post a scripture to Facebook or Instagram or, you know, it's just pass it on. It's scary. Yes, it's scary. But it's also rewarding. Peter denied Jesus and, and less than 40 days later, he was preaching a message that's 5,000 people got saved, more than 5,000. If he can do that with Peter, why can't he do that with you? In your world, with your bubble, at your workplace, with your family groups, you just got to be willing. You got to sit next to the healer. Let him heal you and let him use you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I believe that there are are people in this room that that needed this message. I want to ask specifically, maybe you're in this room and and something hit you with the whole identity aspect. You're allowing your past, your pain, your hurt to maintain your identity when Jesus is trying to heal you. You haven't been able to let it go. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. See, God sees those hands, so it doesn't matter who else does because God sees those hands. And so my prayer is, God, that those that raise their hand took a step of faith to say, that's that's me. The God that you would would speak into them, pour your encouragement and your, your words over them. And that, Father, that you would speak into them only the way that you could. But, God, that also they would be willing to receive it in a way that they would allow you to work the process to heal them. However that looks like. God, if it's, if it's right away, maybe it's tonight, and they're praying in their, while they're falling asleep, and that, God, you just, you just, whoosh, you just speak over them a, a word, and it breaks them. Maybe it's through therapy. Maybe it's through a, a Bible study. God, maybe it's through just conversation with a great accountability partner. God, however you would do it, God, I pray that you would start with them to show them that they are not their worst day. They are a child of God when they choose to follow you. God, I pray for everybody today that like Peter, we may see ourselves in our worst moments, but you see us far different. And I speak over what you spoke to Peter, that when you are restored, that you would go and live a life that would encourage, equip your brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that that's our heart. Wherever we are in our faith journey, God, whether it's just a simple, man, God has done this great thing in me, or maybe we're 15 years into it and we're able to speak some depth into people's life. God, use us right where we're at in whatever conversations that you lead us to. God, give our spirit boldness. Give our faith boldness to speak our story, to pray our prayers, to build our faith in you. Like Peter, God, I pray that we would never give up. We would always press into you. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for this week, and I pray, God, that we would go and make much of you with our lives. Show the world a good, loving God. We bless you, Father. God, I thank you for those that faithfully give to the church. God, I pray that that we would continue to raise a standard financially for the kingdom that we would be able to change our city with your goodness. Bless you, Father, in your name we pray.